Hey guys, have you checked out 336 Daily? Did you know that sometimes, in fact, pretty often, I've been recording it in my car while driving to different job sites? That's how easy Anchor is to make podcasts. With Anchor, you can record your podcast and edit your podcast and upload your podcast all in the Anchor app, and then it makes sure it goes after iTunes and Spotify and wherever you need to put it. It, they take care of everything, distribution. They help you with advertising and getting in commercials. Check out the Anchor app. Go to the App Store and download the Anchor app for free or go to anchor.fm to check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Baltimore sports fans of all ages, welcome to Section 336, Next Generation of Baltimore Sports Talk. I'm your dearly stunning host, Matt Soroka. As always, I'm joined by the zany Burt Rohde. What up, 336ers? Yeah, and just like Luis Ortiz, Burt has lost 10 pounds just to start this, uh, <laughs> get ready for this uh, new season. I'm of... looking trim and thin and yeah, how, how, how ready to win. Yeah, uh, and Let's Josh, uh, how's your finger doing with those buttons? Are you, are you feeling good? I know it's early, but are you feeling good? I'm all good. I'm, I'm okay. more concerned that Bert's wearing an extra 10 pounds with a sweatshirt, a jacket. I'm chilly, man. Cold. I, I was shivering coming in here. I was going to say, I even put the heater down here and had it running ahead of time to uh, try to help out. I'll strip off some layers if I start to get warm. But for right now, I'm chilly. And we're also joined by, we got a, we got a, another uh, another guest. This is second straight week for Section 336 with the guest. All guests. right. Yeah, I think um, it might be three out of four. And this is an upgrade. We got the voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. <laughs> Adam Paul, Adam Paul, welcome to Section Three Three Six. Thank you so much, and Bert. You know, I'm enjoying the sight of your ribs. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this jacket is almost like a catcher's uh, chest protector. That's why I like wearing it. Let's see how well it works. <laughs> yeah, I just I always laugh, and I mean it is what it is. But like Hunter Harvey and Nate Carnes pitched today, and I know they're coming off injuries and whatever. Right. But like all the quotes of throwing bat in practice and saying you feel good. Yep. You better feel good after just throwing bad <laughs> practice, right? But it's like that that's all the running quotes. Everyone I mean, what, feels good. Feel good. Feel good. What feel else good. do you want them to say? Yeah, no, it is, it is what it is. Had a rough outing. They they hit the ball constantly. <laughs> um Adam, you're a new father. I wouldn't yes. throw out a congratulations there. That's exciting. Has your life completely changed since the arrival of said baby? Yeah, it's it, I've learned a lot. There's no doubt about it. Because it, it's my first. Her name's Alexandra. She's she's sleeping pretty well. Uh, she's, oh really? Okay. Yeah, she really is. She slept actually through the night last night, which oh, is the second goodness. time she did that. Yeah. So we're, yeah, everything's going great, and we're excited. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm on. I'm on baby watch. Guys. Yes, he is. Here I, I go. got. I got to tell you what. I now my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say anything really. But I'm going to be nice here. <laughs> but I got to be honest. I am. I am glad to be out of the house. It's a little bit stressful now. Sure. Because my wife was due to have a baby. What on on Friday. And so she can literally go at any moment. And so now, whenever I'm home, I just find myself staring at her, yeah. like waiting for something to happen. Like, don't, don't poke. And this, yes, don't and, pop the balloon. And this has been going on for like two weeks, where right? I just spend right. every minute at home just staring at her. And every like movement that she makes, or like grunt she makes, what was yeah. that? Is that it? Is that it? Now, so I, it's a little bit stressful, so I'm glad to get uh, out of the house for a second and talk baseball. Now, Matt, I, I didn't yeah. mention this to you pre-show. That's fine. But the... the the problem with having the same parents is I get stories from mom and dad about you. I don't want to talk about it. I know where you're going, <laughs> right. and I don't want to talk about it. All right, it. then we won't go there. Yeah. 
My house is broken into. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about. <laughs> yeah. My house is oh, broken into. Oh, so we into. are going there. Yeah. And, uh, it could have been a lot worse, though. But here's a weird thing, right? My house is broken into, and they stole some jewelry. Right. Um, and they stole Define some Define broken. Some well. They, they <laughs> turned the handle and walked in. <laughs> We're a little old-fashioned. We let all the doors run locked. All right? We, we, we had, I've never locked my door like in my entire life. But your butler yeah. wasn't there to uh, help out? No, the cat was. And I don't know what the cat <laughs> was doing this whole time. And we got goats back uh, on That's back. my question. I mean, it's a farmhouse. I, I didn't think they, they were, were breaking like, this little farmhouse. Matt! Matt! <laughs> I, you know, I was, but I was in my house for an hour before my wife got home. And my wife got home and she's like, uh, Matt, why is the TV off kilter? Like someone tried to rip it off the wall. Why is all the furniture moved around? And right. I, I was home for an hour. It's not baseball season, so you're not frustrated. I was upstairs playing at, at, at MLB The Show, trying to get the Orioles to the World Series for an hour. <laughs> I had no idea someone had broken to our house. Well, MLB The Show has made you frustrated enough to try to pull the TV down and <laughs> kick all the furniture. So Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah. So, I, I mean, it was kind of fortunate that they were clearly in a hurry because they missed a lot of opportunities to take a lot more stuff. Right. They just stole some jewelry and, like, a big, I got a big old jar of change. Like... <laughs> <laughs> and they stole the big old jar. Probably threw his and back out carrying that. Yeah, well, we but we lock our our doors now. We lock yeah, our that's doors. good. We lock our doors. Yeah, that's, that's a, that was a little yeah. unfortunate. Door lock's a pretty nice invention. It is unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's not even like I don't even need a key because we got the little punch I, code. That was my question yeah. for you: is how how soon you lose a key and get locked out of your house? Well, we have the punch code. Um, right. But yeah, how, how soon do I do? I know you guys do all the. Um, Ring cams. The ring cams. Yeah. Yeah, I might, might have to time. get there eventually. Adam, you're a ring cam guy. Do you, no, you see going no, I, I, I'm not. That feels a little bit much to me. I, uh, I feel like yeah. that's crossing a line that I'm not comfortable going with, where I'm actually watching people who arrived at my house. I've got I've got six ring cams. I know my you're, home. <laughs> you're all. Someone gets within 100 right. yards of Bert's house. No way. He, he, he's still no. I like my seclusion. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, if someone's going to break into my house when I'm not home, I probably don't even want to know well, about that's, it. Well, that's honest. the weird part is Matt has all the seclusion. Yeah, I know. I, well, but maybe that's why too. I'm more susceptible because I don't live in your. I got a fair amount of seclusion. If somebody comes walking down my driveway, right. they're not supposed to be there. As long as there's not a big party. <laughs> Yeah, when, uh, even we we can have a big party and it doesn't disturb anybody. We we were very fortunate. I'm sorry to hear about all that, Matt. Though that's yeah, sorry, right. it's just that, a lot going on right that's now. That's unsettling. Yeah. It's just a lot going on right now, right? Yeah, and with, the, with, the, with the baby doing his second. Uh, Emily's yeah. got to be a joy to be around right now. <laughs> and and you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing, and Emily is she she she's a trooper. She's fantastic. But the, the thing that drives you crazy about you know the baby ready to go at any moment like she thought maybe like last monday something was going to happen because mm-hmm. i don't right. know so now she's just expecting it every day well, feeling the and, twinge and i don't understand this like either you're having contractions or, or not i don't want to offend <laughs> like what is it come on but wh- whatever but the the thing you know what's weird there, there there's a book by franz kafka called metamorphosis about a guy who turns into a bug right mm-hmm. and so overnight okay. he transforms into a bug all right and the next day he wakes up and his first thought is Oh crap! I'm a bug. This means I'm going to miss my bus to work, right? And that's how I felt. Life changing thing. Like I'm going to have a, a baby, and my first thought is, I got lesson plans to do here. I got meetings to reschedule if this baby's happening. It's just weird how our minds work, yeah, right? It's, it's all about you. <laughs> yeah, it's all about me. It's about my is, stupid, you know, daily schedule right. is interrupted now because this awesome thing's is happening. Is Emily still working? Uh, her last day was Thursday. So no, she's done. Okay, so now go. she really is just sitting at home waiting. Yeah, yeah, it's, we're on we're on baby watch. Did you leave her home tonight? Yeah, she's at home. Okay, yeah. So wouldn't it be cool? If the phone if it, rings. Wouldn't that be cool if it happened during the show? 
I would now. Well, I, I'm I'm ready at any moment. I'm ready at any moment. Uh, it could That's be a historical episode. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> right. And then if it is, I'll bring it back in studio. We'll do a live birth. On section three three six, right. first one ever. I kind of hope it happens, Matt. Yeah. If you have to roll out, don't worry, I got you covered. I'll take over leadership well, roles. Well, right. I'm Adam pulls here, so I won't be concerned. Right. I'm sure that internet at the hospital will be great for Mimo Live. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk some baseball. Yeah. All right. I want before we get to the Orioles, and I want to ask Adam Pole about a bunch of young players because you had a chance to watch these young players a lot sure. more than I. I have. Um, but but before we get there, a couple. I mean, there's rumors Did, about. Did you say, say where Adam Pohl was from, like Bay Sox and all? Yeah, I said right, voice like, of the Bowie right, Bay Sox. Voice of. Right, I missed that. Of course. I, I thought you just jumped in Pay with attention every stuff. now and then. BaltimoreBaseball.com. Um, yeah. Anyway, I you, what kind of bothers me is a lot of players on Twitter, this has like never happened before, right? right? A lot of players on Twitter are coming out saying, like, this is outrageous. What's going on with free agency? Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, like, this is kind of out- outrageous. Yep. Um. And and my concern is, and I want to get your feedback, because I think it's like three issues going on at the same time, not all really directly related, but we kind of lump it into one thing. And so I want to get right. your take on each of these three things. And those are probably the three things that you're seeing people speak out about right yeah, now. Yeah, but I think people kind of lump them all together. I think they're completely separate, but they're just all happening right. at the same time. The first one is the rise of an, 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 analytics in general management and how they sign players. Okay. We saw Mark two guys related to the Lawyers. Mark Reynolds came out and said... At the same time, he had like what three or four of offers that were similar. Well, he tried to point that as, "Hey, there's some collusion." Yeah, um, but Brad Brock said similar things about a week ago when he was signed. He said, "You know, I had three, three or four offers, all about the same amount." He's like, "They just kind of put in the numbers for you now, and they have okay. like an agreed upon." So they're, they're, they're saying that analytics has gone beyond stats to now salaries as well. Right, and they were doing this on, like, Fangraph, for example, was doing this years ago, right. where even for prospects, they could say, like, this guy has this monetary value, or each war win you can get from a guy is worth a certain amount of yeah. money, so right, per, so per win above replacement. Players are now speaking out saying that's affecting their yeah. signing. But what I don't understand, I and mean, I want your guys' take on this, and I get all that, but what I understand is, look at a guy like Brad Brock, who's a decent reliever, right? For him to go to, like, the Yankees, who are stacked from the reliever standpoint, I would imagine, like, he doesn't give that much value to the Yankees. So you, if he would sign for, like, $500,000, you would take him, right? But he doesn't offer that much value, so you're not going to give him $4 million. But if there's another team, I don't know, with a bad bullpen, I just I always think of Nats, the Nationals having bad bullpens. I don't know what the bullpen is right now. Um, but they would have a greater need for bullpen. So wouldn't, be Brad, wouldn't Brad Brock's worth be 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 worth more to a team that needs bullpen work than compared to the yankees so i understand how right, every team be. can just say we got a number in mind either take it or leave it and just go from there right like don't different teams have different needs and thus that affects how much you value a player or is that no longer how things work it, it i mean it should be that's isn't that the that, whole is, point, is of like point bid, bid wars. yeah you're saying that like if, all if teams need... have a certain like Brad right. Brock is worth $2.4 million for every single team. But I'm like, different teams have right. different needs, so shouldn't that affect how much they make? But maybe not. Maybe there's enough bullpen guys out there. Well, you're going to need bid-in wars for that to happen. You're going to need an issue like Manny Machado and Bryce Harper where three, four, five teams want those guys. No, but, but, but for years, players got overpaid based right. on team need, right? Right. But that just doesn't happen anymore? Is, that, is this the new baseball where teams won't overpay even for team need? Well, I, you know, I think one of the interesting things is that when you look at it that way, the steroid era leaving baseball 10, 15 years ago, let's say, uh, I think that that has changed 
the level of how people play at certain ages. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in 2000 or yeah. even like 2005, a lot of the best players in baseball were 35 years old. But now, uh, you know, once they hit 30, a lot of players really start to struggle. And the problem is the way baseball's monetary system is set up is that a lot of people don't reach the major leagues till they're 24, 25, 26. And they have so many years before they become a free agent. That's why yeah. a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado that reached the majors at such a young age have such opportunity in the free agent market. It's because of their age. Right. I just think that, like, when you look at what the Orioles did a few years ago, and I know Wade Miley had a really good year last year, but when they signed Wade Miley for $9 million and they had Zach Davies ready to go and yeah. he would have cost five hundred fifty grand, yeah, and Zach would have been a better pitcher in the major leagues for the Orioles. I yeah. mean, he won 15 games with the Brewers a year or so later. And instead, you know, the Orioles – Overpaid for need, right. which maybe really wasn't the need. 18 <laughs> times more money. Yeah. And you think about it, you know, maybe if you – you know, you, you have five or ten players that are on that, you know, 500 grand, uh, two or three million contract that allows you to go out and get more, you know, bigger price free right. agents. And therefore, sometimes I think that's affecting the guys in the middle. And Brock kind of fits that yeah, mantra. It, that's a great point, especially like back end starters, because they could be replaced by my my guys in most organizations mm-hmm. and also that middle bullpen arm. Right. That's true, that they could be replaced probably by a minor league guy. I have one other theory, though, on this. And and I I don't know if it's right or not, but around the same time of the steroid era, um, I've noticed it especially with the Orioles and the Nationals, it really affects us in minor league baseball in our business. Uh, But you see that food prices are going down, ticket prices are going down. They're making it much cheaper to go to games. And the reason is because they don't depend on the dollar of in-park uh, as much as they used to. It used to be everything, just like with sure, minor league right. baseball, you know, how many tickets we sell. I mean, advertising, that's everything. But really, baseball's economic model went towards uh, these regional television deals with the Yes Network, which started in the late 90s. It's not a surprise to me that the Yankees then dominated because they had so much more money than any other team. But now, just like the Orioles with Masson, um, obviously the Orioles are making money off of everybody's cable bill. So if you know somebody who's never watched an Oriole game before, but they have cable in December when there's no Oriole games, the Orioles are still making money right. off of that person's cable bill. Sure. And it's been an enormous Maybe that person's boom. really into the World Series of Poker. <laughs> well, there you go. But the reality of it is that they might never even watch that channel. It doesn't matter. So what has happened is that these baseball teams and player salaries have more than doubled because of it. You know, you're your average player used to be two to four million, and and now uh, it seems like a big league regular is ten million or eight million plus. You know, and you put all this together, and there's one problem to this whole way of being, and that problem is that people aren't getting cable anymore. That are you know that people are dying. And people are graduating college and the people that are dying have cable and the people that are graduating college are not getting cable. (laughs) So every year – and people are cutting the cord. So every year, two million less people nationwide have cable TV. And that is the heart of baseball's economic model right now because, in effect, everybody that has cable nationwide just about is paying a baseball team a dollar per month of their cable bill. So what's happening, I think, is that um, the owners are getting nervous that players expect 
just like everybody else. I mean, they, they expect their salaries to continue to rise and owners see that the amount of money they're going to be making, especially now with ESPN cutting out baseball tonight and ESPN starting to pull back the reins on baseball, they're probably worried that their next national TV deal might not be as big. And I, I think that's what this is all about, that baseball's worried that in five years from now, hmm. uh, they're not going to have as much money and baseball players are expecting more. And I think that's the problem. Yeah. I, I, that's why you're seeing everywhere except for Masson. They've now gotten rid of the baseball blackouts with the MLB app because yeah. they want they want the you to buy it straight from them where they're making more money than from the cable company to try to make up some of that. Uh, eventually, the Angelos family will understand that and also allow Mass. And it really is down to every team except for the Nationals and the Orioles that can do that right now. Right, wow. and yeah. so many more people will do that. Yes. There's no doubt about it. But the yeah. reality is now everybody that has cable pays to it, whether you're watching right. it or not. So the, but, even the even the Red Sox fans in Saverna Park are supporting the <laughs> Orioles. <Yeah. laughs> right, exactly. Right. <laughs> but in that case, we're supporting the Nationals. But uh, I, I think it's I think it's worse than that. I think that this is all about the collective bargaining agreement in three years and that they want to get all these prices down, all these numbers down, spending down so they can go and tell the players union, hey, we're not making all this money that we used to make. Well, the the interesting thing is because and, and that's interesting because in the future it might change. But right now, the revenues that the teams are making, the salary really hasn't kept pace with that. The player salaries haven't kept, kept pace with that. And maybe because right. also because teams are spending more money in other areas. But also, I think the owners are making more money than they probably ever have before, right? And so part of the problem is that that's not trickling down. And it feels like owners now, and maybe this isn't true, maybe it's just my perception as a kid and like as I grow older, become more cynical. But like it, it appears now that owners are more concerned with making money and having a business that works and makes money right. than just trying to produce a World Series winning team. I've never heard anyone in Baltimore ever say that. <laughs> right. well, but also, look, look, and everybody wants to copy the teams that have just won, and the Cubs yeah. and the Astros, I mean, even the Red Sox. I know the Red Sox spent so much on their starting pitching, but the reality is they did it with a young core of position players as well. So sure. right. the reality is, why am I going to pay a 32-year-old $13 million a year when I've got... Ryan Mountcastle, you know that's about to come up, and I can pay him five hundred fifty grand a year, and he's probably in two years going to be better than that guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, the past uh, five years, it was the the Cubs, the Red Sox, and the Nationals that spent more than anyone. And uh, is it, the, the Cubs just came out saying they Tom have Rickett? no more money. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, Tom, it, I think it's rather, Tom, no, that's they asked there. why okay. we didn't spend more, and he said we, we didn't we have don't, anymore. We don't have any more to but spend. But we all know that's not true. Yeah, but yeah, and you would but, never heard that. I feel right, like right. But a, you're, a few they're coming ago. out and saying, "Hey, that's our spending," and, and that luxury uh, tax right. or whatever. No one wants has to become do that a very real kind of salary cap in 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 a way. That's why I. Which, by the way, I think these things are good as an Orioles fan, right? I don't want other teams spending, you know, two hundred fifty million dollars. On their salary. I want other teams staying down with us. No, I like the idea of bringing a salary cap to baseball. Well, I don't know. And, and whether you call it collusion or whatever, it seems like baseball is starting to go that way. Yeah. Here's the awkward thing that makes me kind of uncomfortable on both standpoints. Um, the idea that the owners are making more money than ever, I find annoying. But I also find annoying when, like, I don't feel any sympathy for Bryce Harper, if he's making thirty million a year as opposed right. to forty million, a year. like you're not going to make me feel <laughs> know, bad for Bryce Harper. It's amazing. Isn't um, it? So, like, I'm not going to take the player side, and I'm not going to take the owner side either. Just both well, sides. 
I mean, if you want to get me but fired it's so up, funny because I how mean, about you pay the minor leaguers, right? Yeah, like, if you well, want to talk yeah, about that, and, and it wouldn't take much to do that. It, it it doesn't make any sense in that regard. And why don't the, minor the, leaguers make more, Adam? Well, they should, but the reality and the worry, I think, for minor leaguers is that uh, what baseball teams would do is shrink the minor leagues. I, I don't mm. think Bowie would be affected, but there's a real chance that uh, rookie ball, uh, short season A, New York Penn League, things like that, that it, they might go away. Right. Uh, so, uh, And that's something that obviously you don't want to see happen. I, but I think with the amount of money in the game, it, it, it's asinine that, that, that players don't get paid more. I I literally hosted a few years ago when the um, when the – uh, baseball's winter meetings were at the National Harbor. I had the honor of being the official host of the minor league winter meetings. So nice. I was like the MC, the opening ceremonies nice. MC, cool. and and I I introduced the president of minor league baseball. Oh wow! And he gave a speech, and the speech was basically all about what they're doing politically to make sure uh, that uh, everything doesn't blow up. You know, in in a way, mm, what, yeah. what they're doing to make sure they can keep salaries uh, relatively similar, uh, so that they the model of what the minor leagues is right now uh, isn't completely thrown into chaos. And uh, and then, and it was in front of a thousand minor league baseball executives. Yeah. And then the next thing that we did was we went to lunch, which is a, a big dais and i wasn't a part of that and there was another minor league broadcaster that ran that event and they gave out the home run hitter of the year award and it actually went to reese hoskins uh you know and reese of the phillies now but uh, he had hit 40 home runs that year in in the eastern league in Reading, right. and they gave out a certain amount of money like a few hundred bucks for every home run so he got a check for eight thousand dollars and literally the first thing he said, he got the check and he said, I just want to thank everybody here so much for this award. He goes, and I just made as much with this check that I made all year playing minor league baseball. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and people laughed and I thought it was funny because it's funny and the sad, president right? of minor yeah. league baseball was giving him the check right. and literally yeah. just giving a speech 15 Throwing minutes some shade. Yeah. <laughs> about that. Yeah. It, yeah. And it seems like something where it wouldn't be that hard to increase salaries, like as you move up levels, you make more money. Um, it, I think it have to come it going from, together. It would have to come from the players' union, right. you know, because I I know a lot of teams, and I, I don't know enough about the baseball deal, but I, know, I think in the NBA is, and in the NFL, it's like a certain percentage of revenues have to go to player salaries. So in effect, what players could do is say that uh, this many percentage uh, has to go to us and this, you know, they could up the percentage that has to go to the minor leagues. It's like the uh, skip a cup of coffee and you can save a child or something. It's like that for minor league players. If Manny Machado would just take 350 instead of 400, a uh, hundred more minor I mean, league baseball players can have it salaries. It wouldn't even. It wouldn't even. Yeah, it wouldn't but, even nearly but, have to be that. But right. Li- but you cut a little story. bit of that off of every player. Right. And the minor leagues suddenly become a reasonable. It's deck. it's just unbelievable. Donnie Hart was on the Bay Sox in 2016, and nobody knew who he was. And when Brian Mattis really struggled, fell apart, and was out of baseball, um, I started getting calls from beat writers. And I was like, and they were all asking me about Donnie Hart. I'm like, oh, my God, Donnie Hart, who nobody has ever heard of, a Division II player who's literally like five foot nine, <laughs> is about to go to the major leagues. This is absolutely crazy. And um, so what ends up happening is that he did, and he performed extremely well. Sure. So he's really stuck. He did come down for about a week or two. But he, I, I kind of did the math. I don't know exactly right, but 
Hart was a guy that got no signing bonus. He was in the twenties as far as his draft round. Uh, he was making about eight grand, eight to ten thousand dollars a year playing baseball that year. He was working a full time job in the off season. And uh, when Hart got called up to the Orioles that year, when you added in his playoff bonus, because that was of course when the Orioles right. lost in Toronto, I. I was able to figure out that Donnie probably made between 200 and 250 grand wow. uh, playing baseball that year. <laughs> when in June he was on pace to make eight. Right. I mean, and, it's just that's unbelievable. Why, that's why you put up with the 8,000 is because you've got the chance for that payday. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. And we've, we've interviewed and talked to a lot of my minor leaguers um, on this podcast. And I no longer like will even ask, like, what are you doing? I remember <laughs> when I asked, like, in the off season, you know, to get ready for next season. Um, and like working, right? <laughs> like right. A but job, it is, right? it's a big advantage for those that get picked very highly. So right, like a DJ Stewart or yeah. a Ryan Mountcastle, these are players that got over a million dollars when they signed. Yeah. Right. So they're literally living off of that bonus. I mean, even Manny Machado was making $8,000 a year playing baseball. He just got a $5 million bonus. So he was okay. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah. the players like that, they're able to treat their bodies and this like a full-time job right. where Donnie Hart, is literally working a nine to five. To, yeah, yeah, I have to support my right. whatever, my life, my family. Yeah, I, th- I think it was one summer where we had Alex Murphy on, who got a small bonus. Right? Yeah, a small bonus. And then, and then we had Jeff Kemp on. Yeah, who you asked him what he was doing in uh, during the off season, and he said he was laying bricks. Yeah, yeah, so, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the other, the third thing I want to mention is I think the Harper Machado not signing. I don't think they're directly connected to the conversation we're just having. Did you get to the second thing? Yeah, the second thing was owners. <laughs> okay, um, Adam kind of stole my thunder a little bit, but gotcha. yeah, about the owners. Um, but the 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 third thing I think is the Harper Machado thing. I think this is a trend where players are just signing late. Like people say, this is a sign the system's broken. But if Harper ends up or Machado ends up signing for you know thirty five million dollars a year, that's not a sign that things are broken. Right. Right. So yep. just the fact that they signed later, I don't think is significant to say that the whole system is broken. Right. It just means they're taking a lot longer to negotiate these contracts. And, and with guys working out on their own, spring training in those first few weeks is less and less important. Tell that to, to I mean, Alex Cobb last year, I was right? going to say, there's plenty of guys <laughs> who are showing up out of shape. But for guys like Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, are not just sitting back on the couch waiting. Yeah, I mean, and, and like the idea that but they got to be careful because if you break your leg working out, yes, that's you know, true. Every Alex day they go, Cobb, yeah. Alex Cobb could not th- basically even throw, and these guys usually sort of program in December, so well, they're yeah. probably not yeah. doing what they would that's have true. been in the years yeah. past. It's, but it's, they, it's not like they're doing nothing either, right? Do you take out an insurance policy? I guess when you're a free agent, in oh, between. I, oh, I'm you sure. Know, I'm like sure the, the Orioles have insurance when they body. sign a player, but I, I would assume you have personal insurance in between that. Uh, good, good to make point. sure you get some money and you know like the celebrity stories that come out every now and then <laughs> yeah yeah but i i i and again i don't i don't think if he ends up going for like 20 million dollars a year i think that would be a huge story but as long as they get their money it sounds like from the reports you're hearing that they're, they're going to get their money it's yeah, just i mean manny's, manny's saying he's not signing anything that doesn't start with a three so <laughs> yeah it sounds like they're all going to make around if not more than 30 million a year so yeah. i think they're going to be okay um, so I don't think that's a huge. <laughs> All right, and teams want them too, right? It's not like no one wants them. So I think that's kind right. of a down story, right? Um, but I hate when people say the system's broken. Why? Because Machado and Harper haven't signed yet, as if no one's offered them a deal. Wasn't it like a week into <laughs> the off season, the Nationals offered ten years for three hundred million, right? And to, he's probably going to get something very close to that. Too. Yeah, 
But don't say like the system's broken because he can't. Nobody wants right. Harper. That's not true. Yeah, people want Harper. They've gone. They've, and, they've each met with about five teams. He's just Ryan. yeah. You. Uh, I have also heard. I think it's interesting. I guess the two uh, um, Boris and I don't know who Machado's guy is. I guess that they they don't like each other either. So there's some competition there too, which is fun. Right. They don't want to be the first one to sign because they want to. They want to outdo uh, two dollars more than yeah. the other guy. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. Let's go to some Orioles talk. All right. I thought that was a little Oriole talk, but okay. Yeah, specifically Orioles talk. We have Adam Pohl, voice of the booth, Bay Sox here. I want to talk about some specific players. Good. Let's start with this. When all the trades went down uh-huh. at the trade deadline, a lot of those guys ended up in Bowie. Yes. If I have this right, Dean Kramer, Bruce Zimmerman, Zach Pop, Ryland Bannon, mm-hmm. and Eusenel Diaz all ended up at the Bay Sox. We had a few more, too. We had Dylan Tate and also uh, Bre- uh, Cumberland, okay, the catcher. Yeah, so, we, so basically the Orioles, I think they drafted, or not drafted, but they, they traded for 15 players. 13 of them were minor league players, and seven of them were in Bowie. And in essence, that's seven yeah. out of 25 players. So, I mean, it was a major change to our team. Yeah. So were there any of those guys that stood out to you as being, like D- Diaz, of course, is the, the most highly... Sure kind of rated and, and ranked prospect from those guys. Um, but what, what was your initial impressions of, of those players? Uh, were there any that stood out to you as being like, whoa, you got to see this guy? The two that really stood out as far as playing extremely well for Bowie were Dean Kramer and Zach Pop. Yeah. Um, they're, they're very different players. Uh, Dean Kramer, I love his attitude for the game. Um, he's he's really tough. I mean, he he is he's a guy that has that that uh, that fire inside, and I think that can really help uh, as far as uh, the attitude of a pitcher. And uh, for Kramer, he's a hard worker. He's an underdog. Uh, he got an incredible amount of attention when he came. To, well, all these players did because they were yeah. traded for Manny Machado. But Kramer was a 14th round draft choice, so he was not a highly drafted ball player. Um, and he has really proved uh, that that he has been an overachiever in the minor leagues. He's got a great curveball, and also though has a fastball. Uh, and this is a word that you're going to hear a lot in the new era of Oriole baseball. But that has great spin rate. Yeah. So therefore, you know, he might not be throwing 97, but you're like, boy, you know. Guys, guys aren't squaring that up much, uh, the, and that third pitch I think is is what is still yet to be seen as far as really developing. Uh, but but when you have two above average pitches and uh, and, and really that kind of gusto to go after guys, you know, he's just a great competitor. Uh, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Now he had an oblique strain two weeks before spring training, so he's in. Uh, Major League Spring Training right now, but he's not doing any activities. So let's hope that 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 doesn't put him way behind. Many feel because he was so dominant last year, there's a good chance that he would be in AAA. Um, The new regime, I think, is much more apt uh, to promoting players if they have success very quickly uh, than the former regime did. But in the same regard, I believe Dean Kramer's made six or seven double-A starts, and that's not a lot. So, for instance, Kramer was pitching better down the stretch than Dylan Tate was. But you have to realize Tate's been in double-A for more than a year. He's probably made around 30 double-A starts, where Kramer has made seven. So it wouldn't be a surprise to me if Dean Kramer starts the year in Bowie, especially that he came into the spring a little bit nicked up. Uh, But after he gets his sea legs, you know, a month, month and a half, two months, uh, that he would go to triple-A or, you know, even push to pitch in the major leagues this year. I would not be surprised at all if Dean Kramer starts in the big leagues this year. Yeah, that'd be great to see. I, I was looking at the Dakota projections for Orioles pitchers. Um, we're projected to have, uh, I think, 13 different starters. 
Um, <laughs> which is like, well, that's a lot. But then I looked at last year. I think there was 14 last year. Right. So, yeah. Um, and so like right now, I think some, uh, there's a lot of interesting kind of open – Opening spots on this roster, but not, not and a quick thing on second half the, of the season, it'll yeah, really but, but, open but up. even like first first week of the season, like opening day roster, we don't right. have a fourth or fifth starter, right? Like we need to find a fourth or fifth starter, and there's a lot of candidates for those, uh, for those spots. Quick note on Zach Pop, he could be one of these really young players that is in the major leagues very quickly okay. because great he's, fastball, right? He's a reliever and a reliever only, and he's a Zach Britton reliever, meaning that he's okay. got a great sinker. And is he Zach Pop? He's the Zach with the C H or with the C H. He's with the C H. Okay, yeah. Are we sure about he, that? Does he's Canadian, to... <laughs> uh, and um, he's been a well-traveled guy because he played baseball in the SEC at Kentucky, and then of course was all around. I mean, he started in Low A last year, got promoted to High A, mm. gave up one run in thirty-three High A innings, wow. and then went to got got traded and promoted to Bowie. The first outing he had. Uh, he, he had a, a first at bat, which was a ground ball that probably should have been an out that was a double down the left field line. And the next thing you know, things fell apart for me. Walked two guys, he gave up three or four runs. And then you look after that, he was absolutely dominant. So his numbers in Bowie were good, but if you take away his first outing, he was outstanding. Mm-hmm. He's He was only 21 years old, I believe, last year. So he's still oh, very wow. young. Um, and in the past regime, there's no doubt he would be back in Bowie after touching three levels last year. But I think, uh, you know, there's a really good chance that pop i mean even if he starts in Bowie, he could be in baltimore by mid-season because he is what he is you know it's not like he needs to develop a different pitch or do more i mean he is a guy with an upper 90s fastball that can really sink it he's going to go after you and that's kind of the name of his game and he could be a back-end reliever for the orioles in this next generation to watch out for yeah, you mentioned a couple of times the new regime, and I'm I'm interested to see. Um, a lot of people talked about how this will affect, like how the Orioles draft and sign and right. trade and acquire talent. But I'm kind of more interested in how they kind of change how they're developing right. the talent that they have. Correct, using uh, all this new technology and, and what does and it data. mean for guys who kind of hung around, like a guy like Mike Wright, yeah, who has yeah, always been there and to... given chance after chance after chance. How long does your chance then last with this new? Yeah. Thing. Yeah, but what I want to ask Adam about specifically with this technology stuff. Sure. We saw Zach Britton, speaker Zach Britton, go to to New York and say, "Oh, wow, they're really giving me a lot of da- da- data here that wow. I didn't have." Yeah. Um, now, what about the reverse effect? <laughs> so, did we have anybody um, from your experience come from these outside organizations and we're like, got to the Orioles and we're like, uh, <laughs> "Guys, where is the data?" Right. Oh, there's that definitely, yeah. and, and I, you don't want to downplay what the Orioles were doing because. The reality is what they were doing is similar to what's been done in baseball for a long, long time. Yeah. And um, it, it's just this was a new age. And you have to realize with Mike Elias and especially the assistant GM, Sig Meidel, that they are not only people that were doing what is now the new age, but they were – just about the first to do it. They yes. almost created yes. this new way yeah. of being. Um, when Dean Kramer, uh, especially the Dodger guys, which were Kramer, Pop, Diaz, and Bannon, uh, Cra- uh, you know, Dean Kramer was the number one player at looking at film 
of himself mm-hmm. um, of any player on the Bay Sox last year. And in essence, for pitchers especially, you notice you're in spring training. I think it's called ergotronic. I, I, I'm, I'm not 100% on the exact pronunciation, but ergotronic yeah. cameras. What you're looking at is when usually when you take a camera, I might say this, you can take this many uh, uh, snaps per second. But this is something that is at way higher level. And um, it, it can just look at the grip. And look at uh, you know just break down your the mechanics in a whole ball, other yeah, way, yeah. but but it's even more than that because I think especially with your fastball, the Astros last year they led the major leagues in strikeouts, but what's crazier is they led every single level of the minor leagues in strikeouts. Oh, that's great! I didn't know that. that which is, is crazy. unbelievable, wow, yeah. and it shows one main thing, which is that so much of baseball is about. I'm going to pitch down in the zone. I'm going to get contact, try to get early outs. Well, that's not really what the new way of the Orioles yeah. is in pitching. It's all about uh, getting ahead in the count. And if you're a fastball pitcher, which most pitchers are that are very good, you throw high fastballs and you try to get them to chase and you try to strike out as many guys as you can. And um, and I, I, it's interesting. I, I started thinking once I read into this, I started thinking about the Orioles pitchers that I think in the minor leagues best fit that kind of template because yeah. they're looking for high spin rate guys at at different pitches like a Dean Kramer breaking ball or Keegan Aiken fastball these pitches that you know you say why, why why can't anybody square this up and then try to get them to pitch in a certain pattern yeah. uh, uh, around that and not to mention also guys who are open to changing what they do yeah, like if you remember when Jake Arrieta left, he had, part of when he left, he was bad mouthing the Orioles because they were trying to get him to change things that he didn't want to change. And right, we've heard it with some other players in the past as well. Well, um, and, and based on just kind of the initial response, because there has been, they're already introduced right. this stuff at spring training, and everyone seems to be. I haven't heard anyone come out and say, "I don't like this." Right, everyone Correct. seems to be all on board. Right, with it. and well, and that's a good thing with having a bunch of young guys who just want to make an impact. With having veterans who had the worst year of their career last year, <laughs> right, is you're open to different stuff. But, um, but in the end, for us, can I just say this will make for longer, more boring baseball, right? Because right. <laughs> more strikeouts, <laughs> less balls in the Oh, play. there's no doubt That's about part it. of what the yeah. problem with be. the pace yeah. of play in baseball yeah. is. Yeah, and, and to be honest, on the offensive side, the Orioles are going to be looking at drafting players that have a very good eye at the plate. Yeah. You know, yep. so when, when you're looking at a guy like Ryan McKenna, who is going to be in buoys, not a big power hitter, but he fits that mandate because McKenna has hit great. I mean, he hit 377 in the first half in Frederick last year, which in my 12 years in the Orioles organization, nobody has done. And he did it at a young age, 21 years old. And then he struggled in Bowie, but he hit 230 in Bowie. But you look at his on-base percentage, it was 340. Oh, so yeah. even though he hit 230 in Bowie, he was still at a higher on-base percentage in Bowie than, let's say, Cedric Mullins did. And in the same regard, it's above the league average. And then he went to the Arizona Fall League and hit 370 again. So, it, you know, it's it's going to be very interesting to see the types of players that they draft in this regard. But uh, but you're going to see a lot of pitches in Oriole games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. that, that whole bat and eye thing fascinates me because you would think think like as a hitter you could kind of learn that and get better at that but it seems to kind of fo- follow you through the minors right like if you have a good bat and eye it seems to stay that way and if you don't have a good bat and eye if you don't right. walk that seems to follow you too one one other thought on this is just like analytics is such a vague word yeah. and the oriel reporters and uh in the elias news conference 
they're saying we're going to have a more analytical approach. Analytics are going to be an enormous part of what we're doing. It doesn't mean we're not going to use our scouts anymore, but analytics. So what does that mean? And in essence, what analytics means is information. I mean, they are going to be giving, just like you were talking about, Matt, they're going to be giving so much more information to their players uh, than was happening before. With, with and, and it's amazing when I talked to an Orioles representative and I asked him about analytics and how they could help uh, players and their swing path. And they basically told me that they're like, Adam, there's a thing called blast motion. It's a sensor <laughs> you put on the bottom of the bat and we've been using it for this many years. And if nobody is, if, if you're not using it right now, I'm worried about you because it costs less than a hundred dollars and it literally is a great way to teach and, and what the consistency of bad path and instruction. It's not just somebody saying, Hey, do this, do this, do this, but you're going back and you're looking at your model and you're saying, okay, see what you're doing here. And and it can really help uh, iron out issues in, in the swing. Well, that, and that's the trickle down of this technology is that's the type of thing that you can now buy as a high school player. Correct. and And a little leaguer. You need to get that for Albie right now. Bert. I'm all over it. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. You just, put, you just put it on your phone and you can track his swing rate. Um, and it does. It makes you question why stuff like that wasn't being used in the minors. Um, I know the base Sox, your schedule starts a few weeks after the Orioles for actual games. And with this new regime, have you seen a trickle down yet or an effect on the base Sox? I, besides, like, you've got a new manager, but... You don't right. No, no real pour down yet, right? No, but there will be an effect. I, I think there's going to be two effects, but these are long term effects. Um, the first one won't really come into being, especially for us at Double A for a few years. But um, the way that Buck Showalter liked to operate things um, was that he wanted veteran players in Triple A. So let's let's put, say Jonathan Scope. gets hurt for a week. Well, he's not going to bring up the prospect second baseman from Bowie. He's going to bring up uh, the guy that's played in the big leagues before because he's going to be out for six days. Where Yeah, your Paul uh, Giannis or whatever it is. Exactly. So therefore, um, guys like Manny Machado, you know, whatever it might be, you know, they went straight from Bowie to the big leagues or they didn't play in Norfolk long at all. This new regime, it, it seems, are going to use Norfolk just like anything else. So the Tides, when you look this year, I, I've never said before that they're the most exciting team to watch in the system, but they might be this season. Even without Pedro, uh, uh, yeah, Pe- Pedro, Pedro Alvarez. Alvarez yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you understand, because yeah, yeah. all no, these guys, guys like yeah. aren't going to get stuck in Bowie. Trey Mancini was almost the MVP of the Eastern League. The Bay Sox won the championship. He hit 359 in Bowie in four months, and the next season, he was back in Bowie. <laughs> and yeah. that that's not going to happen again. The second aspect, though, I think will affect uh, Josh Moore, uh, the lower levels of the minors, the Bay Sox, largely because prospects get stuck in Bowie and they've also are willing to bring in older players to Bowie to fill the roster, which I don't think we're going to see as much of in the new regime. The Bay Sox are going to get younger. The Bay Sox have had 12 winning seasons in the last 14 years, 12, 500 or better seasons in 14 years. The Frederick Keys, one level below, have had 30 years and they've had eight winning seasons. And wow. huh. a reason I think for that yeah. is because the Orioles have not had good young Latin players. And mm-hmm. they're not going out and single and getting a ton of minor league veterans that help a team like the Bay Sox. Uh, in essence, they're trying to give their drafted players a chance. But 30% of the other teams, 30 to 50%, are good Latin players. And we don't have that. Right. And I think that's going to change. So I think the low levels of the minor leagues are
are going to be really aided by that fact. You're going to see a lot more, and you really did already, saw more international signings this year than you've seen in probably any year prior, if I had to guess. Uh, but impact international signings are, are really going to jump. Um, you know, if you look at the the tiers of spending in international market over the last 10 years, there I think there were three tiers. There were the teams that spent a ton. There were the teams that spent, you know, a good chunk. And then there were the Orioles. <laughs> right. and, and, and we just didn't spend, yeah. At all. And yeah. I think that uh, that's going to really be a big, big difference in the system. Yeah, and that's a long-term thing, right? Because a lot of times you're getting those guys when they're teenagers, right? Right. So you're still looking at two or three or four years before they even show Make up. Make it a double your, A, right. your, your, undoubtedly. Your, your so that means... Team. So that means also that winning streak in Bowie is going to end because now you're, there's room for guys to move up into Norfolk. It so, might, but the, the the also reality of it is the Orioles traded for 13 minor leaguers last year, and they yes. already had a farm system that was rated in the middle of baseball. I think they're getting underrated well, depend, right depending now. Depending who you ask. Well, last year, a lot of people rated the Orioles between 15th and 18th right. in, in the minor leagues. Was it, was it Keith Law that had Keith them? Keith Law, dead, dead last. Dead last. I, I don't understand it. I yeah, mean, he's what, he, what he's That's looking what is. at is he's looking at players that could be impact, you know, all-star type players. But the Orioles have a lot of depth as far as players that could be good uh, major league players. And what's going to happen is some of them are going to are going to over-exceed expectations and be that, and some of them are not. But especially with pitching, I mean, you look at the last few drafts, the Orioles have basically just drafted pitchers. And when I look at the minor leagues as a whole, not just Bowie this year, when you look at box scores as an Oriole fan, no matter what team you're looking at this season, the starting pitcher is basically going to be a prospect. Yeah. I mean, at almost right. every level. Yeah. You know, because unless a uh, few start in the big leagues in AAA, you'll have Keegan Aiken and Dylan Tate and Dean Kramer pretty soon. Those guys will be there in AA. You'll have Zach Lowther and Michael Bauman and Alex Wells and Brian Gonzalez, who really finished strong last season that people forget about. In uh, Frederick, you'll have D.L. Hall and Brennan Hanafy and in Delmarva uh, and Cameron Bishop and in Delmarva. You'll have Grayson Rodriguez and others. I mean, it's going to be extremely interesting. There's never been this many starting pitchers to follow in the Orioles organization. Yeah. That's exciting. A couple things about the prospects, though. Mm -hmm. The first thing is, I don't buy any of it. First of all, the the second I saw the Orioles only had three top 100 prospects, I went and did some research. And by research, I looked at fan graphs to see if they had an article about this. (laughs) Right. About like. How many top 100s actually. Yeah, or the reverse. Like, yeah, like, and the stat was 40% of war in baseball. If you add up all the war, 40% of it is done by guys who weren't, who were never top 100 prospects. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's a lot of contributions come from guys who were never top 100 prospects. So it doesn't mean everything. And the other thing about the issue I have with the prospects, just look at last year. Our number one prospect last year was Austin Hayes, who this year, after last year, he dropped down to four. Um, yep. the, the, our number two guy last year going into the season was Cisco, who is now off the board. I don't know if that's because... Major League time is I – don't, I don't know why, but he's, he's not yeah, even he's, on the list. He's probably played too much in the bigs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the third guy on that list was Harvey, mm-hmm. Hunter Harvey, who is now 22. And so our top uh, three went to four off the list and 22, right? Which tells right. you either we got a ton of new, better prospects or th- those all fall, falling off. And Austin Hayes, he's still the same player, right? Like he had a bad year, a bunch of injuries, but he's still the same player he was last but year, right? But it's also right. – so, they're trying to project the high school kid. 
So every year is a huge shift in projections. But but that's that's my thing. Like we've seen, I've seen so many, just as an Orioles fan, so many top, specifically pitchers, top rated pitchers, right, right, top prospects in single A, double A, like. I'm not excited about D.L. Hall. I know everyone says get excited about Hall, great lefty. Everyone says get excited about great Grayson Rodriguez at fastball. <laughs> um, everyone tells me I'm not excited about them because I've seen so many players start off as one and two and three prospects, and by the time they got to the majors through injuries or whatever, they weren't good anymore. So I, I don't know. You're, you're selling me every every prospect, every pitch, starting pitcher will be a prospect, which I'm excited about. But at the same time, like I don't know how – I've been I've been fooled so too the, many there's times. There's an Adam. age old adage that is that you can't have enough pitching prospects, yes. and, and for good reason, yeah, right? right? And and obviously it's the, it's maybe the most fragile position in sport. So, uh, you know, when you really look at it, that's that's why I like it because the Orioles are in a position right now where they're not all in on one or two guys being the guy because they've got a lot of different people that have the chance and hopefully a few pan out to be that guy. And uh, that, that's the exciting part of where the Orioles are. I'm really excited to see Harvey this year. Um, he needs more time in the minor leagues. But, boy, I mean, if he's has still has his stuff and is able to stay healthy, it wouldn't surprise me if the Orioles try to make him the next generation's hater. Of of their team, you know, a guy yeah. that could be just go out there and blow smoke for two or three innings yeah. and just be dominant. Yeah. Um, it, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I I still think he's got a chance to be a big difference maker, and, and that's that, that's what you've got to hope for. But um, but yeah, you, when I started in the Orioles system. You know, um, my second year with the Keys, it was Matt Wieters and Jake Arrieta. And then uh, a few years later, it was Machado and Scope. And then it was in 11. And then in 12 in Frederick, it was Gosman and Bundy. Yep. But the reality is the Orioles' top prospects are not – their number one and their number two prospect are not as highly thought of in the industry as they were in that era. Mm. But their 12th to 18th prospect is way better. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, and that makes sense to me. And I mean, Austin Hayes is another good example of that, right? Because he was a top 100 guy last year, right? But you could argue if he still has that same talent, right? He should still be a top 100 guy, but he's, he's on no top 100 list, right? Um, but I don't think he got worse. I think he just had an injury plague. Bad. I had bad a really season. interesting talk with Hayes at the end of last year, and you don't you kind of get worried about talking to a player about this, but Austin is such an open book that it, it, he's a great guy to talk to. The ra- I, I thought Hayes came into uh, last season really bulky. I mean, he just mm-hmm. looked so top-heavy. He was a guy that was really buff in his first year in Bowie when he was absolutely dominant. Right. But he looked really ripped. I mean, like, you know, enormous up top this year and uh, or last year. And he told me that when he hurt his foot and he was out for the two months in Bowie that he lost 10 pounds. And mm-hmm. that's something that he was working on. And I saw a picture of him. And usually pictures kind of add weight. He looked extremely lean to me. I, mm-hmm. I think that could really help him. Obviously, he's going to have to have a better eye at the plate. That's the one thing that stands out to me as a worry with Hayes. He's very, very aggressive. But in the same regard, he's a dynamic player. I mean, this is a guy that, that could be a big-time home run hitter and a guy that's just diving all over. You know, he, He's the kind of player that will be a fan favorite of Baltimore. Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He gives everything he has all the time. And I think that um, I think the leaner body type, more flexibility because he's such a quick twitch guy, he is the way that Hayes needs to be. And I, I just I thought he was too bulky last year. Look, looking at all though, that's really interesting. But if you look at all the we have a lot of outfield prospects. DJ Stewart, right. we mentioned Austin Hayes, C- 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 Cedric Mullins, mm-hmm. um, McKenna, you, you mentioned 
D as of course right if you were if you were a betting man adam which one of these guys do you think has a chance to be a great major league baseball is there one of those outfielders or two that you think they're they have a good chance of sticking and being really good outfielders. Yeah, I I don't know. I you want to say Diaz because obviously he's got the numbers. I didn't see it so consistently with him, you know, being but he's only 22 years old obviously. Um I, to me Hayes would be the most dynamic player. Yeah. But the way Hayes plays, he might not and his size, he might be a guy that can do it for a short period of time, but he might have a three-year window where he's a star. Hmm. And, and I, I could see Austin being a guy that could go to a few all-star games if he stayed healthy and everything went right. And he would be, I'm telling you, he would be beloved in Baltimore. Yeah. The way that our city is and how we want our Orioles to play, right? The first question to uh, the new manager, Brad Hyde, uh, at the Fan Fest, wasn't it about guys running down to first base? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, Austin Hayes with, yeah, is, with hustle. Austin Hayes looks like Usain Bolt level of, of effort, you, yeah. know, you know, as he races down to first, dives all over the place, has a great arm. Um, you know, that, that's the kind of – he's a gritty, gritty ball player. And um, so I think that um, he's a guy that even could make a major impact on the Orioles this season. It, it'll be interesting to see how you teach that uh, patience at the plate because I think that's something that you've got to learn in the minor leagues right. because it's not something you learn in high school because high school you're the star. You're, you're there to hit the home runs and, and, and score. And to, to come into the minors and to have that patience where you're used to swing away, swing away, swing away, it's got to be, it's got to be an adjustment and it's got to be a head game that you've got to get, it, get uh, used to. Yeah, and if I can put off – that uh, to to move to the guy, talk about a guy who I'm kind of most interested in watching this year in the minors, whether it's Triple A or Double A. Triple A, I would imagine. Um, and here's a guy that Buck Showalter told that maybe <laughs> yes. you should look at some some more balls. Um, Ryan Mountcastle. Um, my first question is, what's the deal with him and his position? Like, I could watch right. Josh play, you know, ten minutes at third base, and I could tell you, is it going to work out or not? How long do you have to watch a guy play third base before you can figure out if he's a third baseman or not? So is Ryan Mountcastle a third baseman, and how do you think the new regime is going to handle Ryan Mountcastle? This is one of the best questions, I think, and most important questions. Because batting-wise, entire... he has it, right? right. Batting-wise, oh, he has yeah. it. It's just a position. So much of the minor leagues is about your age, and Mountcastle put up outstanding numbers last year. He was one of the top five or ten hitters in the AA Eastern League, but he was three years younger than the average player. Did, when... did, did he take more walks? Uh, I mean, did, he, did he did. Yeah, I think he place? improved. I think okay. he improved. Proved, well, but that's not. I mean, he's going. He's a very aggressive hitter, right. and Hayes is too. Those are both guys that you're not going to see them take very many fastball strikes. Good, as a you know, fan, it's not I like, like that. You know, it's not like oh, you I'm know, style, the count go. is one <laughs> and two, and a guy. It's a called strike three on the outside corner of the fastball. Like they're guys that are going to be ripping away. But with Mountcastle, but you he's were got a three, very fluid three years sw- younger, right? So, so that's not what we're used to hearing with the Orioles organization. Normally, it seems like. The guys we hear about are older, guys like Caleb Joseph who spend forever in the minors. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. to be three years younger and it, hitting that well is a good thing right. if you can groom it. Manny Machado hit far lower 
worse per se than than Mountcastle did in the minor leagues. But Machado was in Double A when he was nineteen, and he was a league average Double A player. Right. And you're sitting there going, "What is this guy going to be like when he, <laughs> right. if he was 24 in this league? What would this be like?" Yeah, yeah. So you know, with with Mountcastle, what uh, what's so interesting is there was a report today from John Mioli of the Baltimore Sun that Mountcastle was working out at first base. Oh, really? And oh. this is really interesting because yeah, I, I think like we it. talked about it last year. Somebody in Frederick told me uh, two years ago that they thought that Mountcastle was a first baseman. And the original inclination from an Orioles fan's thought process is, oh, my God, really? Like, we have Mark Trumbo. <laughs> right. we, got we have Chris Davis. Trey Mancini's playing in the outfield. He's a first baseman. And now this top, our best hitting prospect is a first baseman. Yeah. Like, this is a disaster. But the reality of it, because Mountcastle really doesn't have much of an arm at all, is that you would he provides much more value as a player he would be a top 50 prospect as yes. a first baseman yes. because he he has a little bit of range not great range but like do many first basemen have great range right so this is a guy that can really pick it he's got a very good glove um he can do it he can do it at first base but the reality of it because obviously you don't throw much at first base right uh, but his bat, unless you're Chris Davis and you're caught in a pitch, right? But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but his bat, I think, can play as a first baseman. I mean, he's a guy that some people think could be like a 35, you know, home run hitter kind of guy. So, with that being said, I think you have to look at the long term approach when you look at the Orioles in every way, shape, and form. Um, uh, Michael Elias said, you know, we believe that there are a lot of players in this organization now that are going to be on the next great Oriole team, yes. in, in effect, the next playoff team. Yes. And I think he's talking about Ryan Mountcastle. Yeah, I thought because he meant World if, Series team, not playoff team. But, but, but you're yeah. right. But if the yeah. Orioles are going to be really good in three to five years, um, which is what they're hoping to do, yeah. uh, the reality of it, and I feel bad in saying this, but most likely those teams are not going to include Chris Davis or Trumbo. Oh, definitely. Right. I mean, there's a chance the Oriole team might not include Chris Davis or or Trumbo, Mark Trumbo at the end of this year. Yep. Sure. And, you know, so in September, you're looking at uh, Mount Castle at first base and and uh, Mancini possibly DHing. I, yeah. So I, I, I really believe uh, that this is a, a great thing for the Orioles and for Mount Castle because you want to put him in a place to succeed. The other thing is he was working so hard at uh, at trying to up his level defensively. This in time, it's going to take some time for him to get used to it. But over the years, this is going to allow him to focus more if it sticks uh, on what he's really great at, which is swinging the bat. Yeah, I and I, I'm, I was not aware of that report, but that makes me really happy because some of the stuff I've heard is that he's going to eventually he'll end up in, in left field. And right? every time I heard that, right. I cringed because you think a, we got a ton of great prospects who yeah. can play outfield, and I'd rather have get this an outfielder playing outfield right. like someone who's fast right. and can throw that's crazy right and i don't just want i'm tired of us throwing mark trumbo or let's throw the unathletic guy not unathletic let's throw the guy who doesn't have a position <laughs> right just out in left field right i i want an outfielder out out in left field right i mean if you put hayes mullins and mckenna in an outfield yeah. not many balls are no gonna balls fall. are landing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but if you put mancini <laughs> trumbo. Castle, <laughs> right so and trumbo out there yeah, so Mount Castle today kind of played it down of, oh, they're just getting me used to different positions in case I'm ever needed. Right. But Brandon Hyde spoke out, and when he was talking to reporters, he said that wherever you saw players today is their primary position. 
Yeah. What you really want to do as well is you want to maximize the value of your players. I don't believe Mountcastle is a player that would get traded. Um, I believe that the Orioles would be more apt to trade, you know, somebody else, like even a Mancini, which I I hope that wasn't the case. What were the case? Because Mancini is such a great guy. Yeah, I think he I could be Mancini. a great leader yeah. in in this next generation. So I hope to not see that. Yeah. But the reality of it is that uh, if you play Mountcastle uh, for a half season in the minor leagues, um, his value is going at first base. I should say is going to be so much higher as a player than he is at third base. Because so, instead of being, oh, here's a guy with a great bat, but he's a liability at third defensively. Here's a guy with a good bat that can also play a good first base. Correct, right? and that just changes yeah. so this, the narrative. This is one of those things to kind of mark and keep track of as. This could be the first thing of this regime saying, hey, here's some analytics and adjusting a player by moving him from third. Orioles moved him last year from short, short to third. Well, I think that but was... here to, to move him to first base could be the first thing of we're going to do things differently. Yeah, but Adam, why was he at third for so long if he lacked range and lacked an arm? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great question. You know, uh, obviously, um, you, you've, uh, he – it's not like he was completely inept in every aspect right. of of the position, but um, but you know he's not a guy that was going to be able to play second base. I don't think as far as his build and everything of that nature. Third base, I I, I thought it was an unusual move. Yeah. Obviously, he played third base. I watched him play third base every day all year last year. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that he was inept, but the reality of it is, think about how when the Orioles got good in twenty twelve. A big part of that was their outstanding uh, defense in the infield. Yep, and, definitely. you know, with a lot of the players that the Orioles are bringing in right now, the Rule 5 draft, they're bringing in a bunch of defensive middle infielders. You, you, you know that the Orioles are going to place a little bit more on that set. I mean, and it's interesting because Buck Showalter, uh, you know, especially when the Orioles got good in 2012-13-14, that he was very uh, – that was a big part of the team was Weeders at yeah. the catcher, Hardy, and Scope up the middle, and then Adam Jones in center. I mean, you know, yeah. talking about dynamic power at all those positions and good defense. So, uh, and Machado's defense at third was just extraordinary. Yeah. Yes. So, it, you know, you got to put players in spots where they can succeed. And the analytics, once again, the information tells you and can quantitate how important defense is now. And he would be a guy that would cost you a lot of runs. Yeah. And once again, I you just feel for him, you know, in a way where it's like, you know, he makes a, a tough play defensively, and then he's got to come up to the plate, and he's pressing that next time up. I, I think this will take a lot of pressure off of him and make him even a better hitter. That's good to hear. Good. I, I hope I hope he finds a starting job. Do we expect him to start at AAA? Is that where we would expect him to start? Good chance, but, I mean, if they're doing a major position change, oh, Wilson Garcia was the player I had tabbed for Bowie, and he was lost in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Mm. So there's no real first baseman in Bowie, per se. That's not what matters for a player like Mountcastle is where a spot is because wherever he needs to be is where he's going to be. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were to start him in Bowie for a month and try to get him acclimated and then go up to AAA. Cool. But the reality is he came up to Bowie late in 17. He's been with the Bay Sox for a year and a month. So he's a guy that, that's ready for AAA. Young, and, but he'd still be young at, even in AA. Yes. Yeah, right? I think his birthday was... Today. Is it today? It yeah, today. It was oh, 20, 20, 22nd today. birthday. Happy so he's birthday. very yeah. young. And, yeah. but, but Bowie also has the advantage of being uh, 40 minutes from Camden Yards. Right. That... Yeah. that if there's a guy like Mountcastle that maybe some of the bigger league uh, 
team who wants to work with or you want your analytic uh, team working more with him, putting him at Bowie makes more sense where you can get him up to Camden Yards when you need to. It's going to be interesting to me also the kind of electronical, the kind of equipment that they use in the minors that they right. install. Some new cameras. Um, and because a lot of the talk was, hey, look, you know, we're, our payroll is going to take an enormous fall, but we're going to invest this in technology. And a lot of that's going to be at the minor league level. Um, every minor league ballpark has TrackMan, which is a big part of how the Orioles have been signing pitchers this offseason. Right. But um, because it's all about spin rates and things of that nature. Uh, but the, it, it, you know, it's going to, this is a, a thing I'm, I'm really excited to see because I I do think though that that if the greater technology would allow them to feel comfortable with watching things on video and gaining the same insights, uh, so therefore it's not as important uh, to see a guy right. in Bowie like in Norfolk. It's right. still I can I can kind of get what I need right. uh, in that way. But you're right because. You know, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if we do see in Bowie uh, both uh, uh, Midal and uh, also um, Elias in Bowie and in minor league stadiums a lot. Well, even Midal, one of his stories was that he went and like was a minor league, yes. traveled around all the minor league teams yeah, and sat story. on the bench yeah. in, in uniform. So I assume you're going to see him in Bowie a few times this year. You know it. You know it. Um, you mentioned the importance of defense up the middle, them getting these young players, these Rule 5 guys. Um, were you guys surprised? What are you guys' thoughts on the um, Aceldas Escobar signing? Yeah, we're, oh, right. last uh, week we all thought uh, Ricky, Richie Martin was yeah, going to be the shortstop. Here, here's a veteran shortstop who's actually defensive metrics the past couple of years haven't looked very good. Um, older yeah. guy. Um, were you guys surprised at this signing? What's your guys' kind of take on this, uh, the Escobar signing? Bert? It's a name that I've heard of. That's what yeah, I took away. Yeah, Orioles All Star. <laughs> <Right>. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best shortstop out there, right? In free agency. Well, I saw um, uh, who was signed today. Um, another shortstop was just signed today. Who was but signed for like three million dollars right. as compared to what seven hundred thousand dollars we paid. Yeah, I wonder, and Adam can speak to this better. Is how much of that is to give your pitcher some confidence? I, you know what I think it is, and, and that's your take. Here's my take. Yeah, I think he's there as kind of a veteran. Leader, guy who's been to a World Series. I think it's also a guy that you just don't want to hand Richie Martin the shortstop job. So here's some token competition for spring training, and here's like a veteran you can see how he prepares for a game, right. a major leaguer. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Escobar doesn't even make the roster. Right, right. It's not I, I think it's insurance contract. policy. Yeah, because yeah, maybe they, you know, they go through two weeks of camp and they they're like these two guys, Jackson and Martin, that we got. They're not ready. I mean, yeah. we we see promise in them, but they're probably not ready yet. Uh, of course, they're major league Rule Five draft guys, right. so, so they would have gotta... to keep them. But in essence, they could let one or two go. I mean, I, last year the three Rule Five guys that only is only one of them still in the system, or I'm, I'm trying to think because uh, Nestor Cortez last... well, went back because last year Santander was a hangover. That's right. right. So two are so still, in still in the, the system because Arujo is still yeah. yeah. He's got to be up for what, like seven games or something. Yeah. How how can you have a, a last name? And this is broadcaster speak right yeah. here. This is broadcaster <laughs> dork speak. But this is uh, this is amazing to me. You have like a six letter last name, and it's four syllables long. Arauho. It's A R A U J O. That's amazing. Arauho. And that's why I could never be a broadcaster. Is yeah. the names? That's the only reason. I'm broadcasting. I'm broadcasting with Mount St. Mary's about four or five years ago, and we're playing Villanova, and it's the first game of the year. And I and I walk up to the Villanova broadcaster, and I show him this 15 letter last name, and I say, right. "Please tell me he's not going to play." 
<laughs> because I've looked at how you say his name and I can't say it. Give and me a nickname. Right, and right. he goes, he goes, he goes, Adam, he's going to play and he's going to play a lot. And he was Archie Diacono. Oh, yeah. Archie the guy Diacono. who became a star for Villanova yeah. in their championship team. That's funny. I yeah. practiced it for 10 minutes. I, of course. Wait, is there any truth? I don't know if this is true, Adam, but there's rumors coming out that the reason we didn't sign any international free agents is because Adam Pohl was concerned about the pronunciations of some of the names that we would sign for international free agents. 100%. So he I, said, no, no more international free agents. I sent a very detailed email to uh, Elias and let him know that I can't roll my R's. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm out. <laughs> yeah. See, I thought it was that, like, whatever, that, what's the guy's why, name, like right. Shang Chu from China? I thought that was, right. you drew oh, the line yeah. there. That's yes. why Joe Angel retired. That's because we announced international. <laughs> no, that was his. That, no, that, that was, was his thing. thing. That was his thing yeah, of pronouncing yeah, those. Yeah. those yeah. Names. He could, I like he, it, Bert. He could roll his R's. He could he roll his R's with the best big of them. Yeah. Uh, there's a. I got a couple other uh, questions about. Uh, if you, we kind of look ahead, I think sure. this is going to be an interesting, interesting year. I think like the open competition. I was surprised. Um, like Fangraphs had our top prospects, and they have like ETAs, right? Mm-hmm. And the ETA for a lot of these guys, like the ETA for Mountcast was 2019. Sure. Do, do you see that as like as a realistic possibility? That Undoubtedly. Could be really? Yeah. I, I think that um, this notion uh, – well, first of all, everything in the lens of the Orioles um, – GM and the Orioles brass right now is a long-term viewpoint. So if they feel that bringing a guy up to the major leagues and giving him a taste of the major leagues, even though he might not be uh, as productive this moment as, let's say, a Mark Trumbo, uh, but they feel like that's going to be the benefit of that player long term. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, you you see, I, I think a lot of Oriole fans are frustrated. They're like, "Oh my God, we've only signed Nate Carnes or whatever." But the reality of it is that this is they they have once again a lot of players that could be big league players, and almost all of them are in double and triple A. This is going to be my thirteenth year broadcasting games in the Oriole minor leagues. And there's never been this many players close to the major leagues wow. in the Orioles system in my time. But once again, there's no Manny Machado yeah, in this yeah. system. Yeah. And there's no uh, you know prospect like Matt Wieters in this system right now. So you put all that stuff together, and I think that they want to leave spots open and give players opportunities. So when you're looking at the AAA starting rotation right now of Keegan Aiken and Dylan Tate and Luis Ortiz, you know, and all these types of players, it wouldn't be a surprise at all if they're in the major leagues. It wouldn't be a surprise to me if Michael Givens gets traded midseason right. and all of a sudden the back end of the Orioles' bullpen are guys that have never pitched in the major leagues before, like Zach Pop and Brandon Klein. So I, I I think that uh, it's it's great to be a minor leaguer in the Orioles organization, and uh, these guys are going to get a real chance. And once again, um, I think that's also going to be exciting for Oriole fans because you're seeing the future. And whether it works out or not, you know you're not going to cry tears over a loss in late April, uh, yeah. knowing that the Orioles. Uh, are more than likely not destined, to, you know. And the right. other aspect of this is, if Oriole pitchers Cobb, Kashner, or Bundy, if they're doing extremely well, they might be gone. Right. Right. I and mean, that would be a good thing. Right. So yeah. the reality of it is, I mean, the Orioles could be a much better team this year if everything breaks right. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But in a, in a way, what they're doing is every decision they make is about 2021 or 2022 in yeah. every way, shape, or form. And that's why I thought the Mountcastle move today was so interesting. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned uh, the Dylan Tate and, and Luis Ortiz. Mm -hmm. Look at the, the Bacota projections. They're both projected to have a couple starts in the majors this year. Yeah. I was surprised Bacota didn't have any starts projected for Keegan Aiken. 
Um, out of those guys, I think Keegan Aiken had had the better year of those of those guys last year at, at Bowie. Um, what are your thoughts on Keegan Aiken? Is he he's a guy that seems to be I don't know, was it injuries or just not to be able to figure it out? But last year he seemed to kind of put it together a little bit more, right? Yeah, there's no doubt he, that he had a, a big hiccup in his 2017 in Frederick. But you know, in that season he also had stretches in which he was outstanding. And in Bowie he put it all together. I mean, he had the second most wins for a Baysock pitcher ever. Yeah. And I know people say wins don't matter, but I, I don't believe that. So the reality of it is that he was going out with a sub 500 team. And, yeah. you know, there, there were times where he was uh, the Steve Carlton of the Bay Sox last year, meaning uh, there were four starters and you knew that the Bay Sox were most likely going to lose. And then it was <laughs> Keegan Aiken Day. And it's like, all right, we get the win today. Yeah, it's win, Keegan huh? Aiken Day. Um, Aiken had he, he kind of hit a wall at the end. I think he was completely worn down. His last two starts were very poor. Um, his ERA went from 2.7 to 3.2, 3.3 because of, of really struggling in his last two starts. But the reality of it is that he nearly won the pitching triple crown in the Eastern League. And that is one of the number one – that's the number one prospect level in baseball. Yeah. Uh, meaning wins, ERA, strikeouts. He right. was right there. and. Um, so I, I'm a believer. The crazy thing about him is uh, I think there's two ways to pitch. There's either this is what I have, come hit it, or I'm going to try to fool you. And for Keegan Aiken, he is the kind of guy, and I think these guys work out better in the major leagues, where you know what he's throwing and it doesn't mm. matter. Yeah. He has got an invisible fastball. I mean, he throws at 91 to 94 miles an hour, which is average. But the reality of it is it plays like a much harder, faster fastball. Mm. And he'll give up a 420-foot home run, and then the next batter comes up, and he throws four straight fastballs, <laughs> and he strikes him out on a 1-2 pitch. I mean, I bet, you know, the, the percentage of fastballs in the major leagues, that's another th aspect of the game, yeah. that, that have led to more strikeouts have really gone down. Right. I mean, the, you know, some teams are throwing less than, overall, less than half their pitches are fastballs. Sure. Keegan Aiken probably throws 70 to 80% fastballs. Mm. I mean, he's not messing around. Right. Like, he's right. not up there like, oh, let me get you off balance. I mean, you know, yeah. he's like, come and yeah. hit it. Yeah. So it, it's impressive to see because you also see the fact oh. that he could probably develop his off-speed regime more and his fastballs success could lead with future growth to being an outstanding starter. Right, because yeah. that's something we would see with the previous regime is they would say, well, you need a third pitch. Sure. So if... It'll be interesting if they say, hey, you, you're good at throwing the fastball. That's your pitch. Go go with what works for you. Or if well, they I would imagine they would that. encourage him yeah, to throw more secondary pitches right. a lot more. than I think they that. will, too. Yeah. I think, once again, they're going to want him to throw that fastball up even more and more. And and he does that a lot. I mean, he, he just gets a ton of swings and misses off his fastball. We uh, the There's been some chatter around this, and I think it's highly possible with not having a fourth or fifth starter that we could go – the Tampa Bay route, the opener route. Right, yeah. But the Bay Sox are doing this, I think, even maybe for the Rays with Tanner Scott, right? You had Tanner Scott right, as your yeah. opener. That's right, yeah. I didn't even think about that. But you're right. <laughs> Jesus Lorenzo, who probably will be in the major leagues of the Pirates this year, is the same. Now, you guys did it more for innings reasons, right? And to uh, No, actually, it, it, it wasn't to be the opener, but right. in effect it was. I mean, they wanted a guy like Tanner Scott, who didn't have a great feel for pitching, but had an incredible arm, uh, who was one of the most bizarre pitchers I've ever seen in my life in this regard. He literally allowed... More runs than hits in his full season in Bowie. Oh, that's weird. How can that happen? 
Yeah. I mean, I've with, never seen somebody. Right. With a I mean, lot of walks. Right. Guy, you know, he still had an ERA in the twos, but guys were hitting like 150 against him, which is just absurd. But he was walking, you know, more than a batter an inning. And therefore, or actually it was less than that. He was just, just under a batter an inning. And in effect, you had a season where, you know, he gave up, let's say, 45 walks and 65 or 45 hits, 65 walks and about 50 runs. So it was very, very unique. But um, Tanner Scott, they, they thought, especially even in developing his slider, which is a real weapon, that uh, throwing him in three inning outings was going to be advantageous. So that's that's what he did. And he really pitched well. Yeah. But uh, but, you know, he's going to have to continue. Take, he's taken a step forward. He needs to take another step forward to be a good major league pitcher. He just doesn't throw enough strikes. Yeah. And Pakoda, by the way, hasn't projected to be the Orioles' best bullpen. E E E E R A wise, to be mm-hmm. the really? Orioles' best bullpen. That'd be a yeah. big. That'd be a big um, step up. That would be. Yeah. Um, Bert, what are you, what are your thoughts on the Orioles going to an opener? You know, having a bullpen guy come in and throw the first two innings of a game, you know that, of a game that is and the, then bring in the start. The opener is the other thing that some players this past couple of weeks have been talking about. Uh, especially starting yeah. pitchers saying how <laughs> yes. they hate the opener. Well, I loved Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner. That's just, and he is one of the greatest pitchers out there. Right. So, like, he has the right to say that. Yeah. But that's a great response. I just leave the stadium. Right. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> if you put an opener for my game, right. I will leave. Just walk out. I've got a guess for the Orioles' preferred opener. Oh, yeah? Jimmy Yacobonis. Oh. I think Yacobonis could be an opener. Yeah. Because uh, he's done both start and now, relief, right? right? He's done both or maybe players. Castro. Now, we'll, right. Or even Givens if you want to show him off to try to trade him more. Right. Um, what would be the reason for the Orioles to use an opener? Would it be to try to give more guys chances and, and build up their arms? Why would you go with an opener if you were the Orioles? Well, I think you, Brandon Hyde would go with the opener. To see more guys? or To, win, to, to try to win the game, right? Like Brandon Hyde would say, because he he's not, don't tell him right. five years, You're don't tell Brandon say, Hyde five years. Brandon Hyde's <laughs> trying to say I'm competing, right? Well, yeah, right. and he's Brand- going to try to set up the the the. And when your options are okay, am I going to start Josh Rogers or David Hess or John Means? No offense to those guys, right? Or if I if I can just go with like two innings from each of these guys, yeah. maybe I can cobble together something. Yeah, but I don't think Brandon Hyde can make that decision. Why? I, I, feel like, the I feel like. Oh, you think he's a puppet? I, th- I think that's got to be an organizational decision on Did how you're using. Opener? It'll be. It'll is be Brandon Hyde doing his own lineups? I don't know because I see what you're saying. Because Brandon Hyde can't worry about three years from now because the Orioles might decide, hey, in three years we're going to get a real manager. But I don't think you're doing here. this. But and I don't think you're treating this. And maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think you're treating this like Tanner Scott, where you're in the in the development business. You're just at saying, the major leagues. I've got guys who can pitch win. six innings, but I've got three guys that can pitch three innings. Right. These guys are not good enough to get through the lineup multiple times. Then why so are they let, in the major leagues? If that's the future it, starter, this is the best we got. <laughs> or is that or is that what you're saying? This is just the best. And how right. we they might the they might Until say we develop the, the problem with an opener is that you're then leaning heavier on your first four starters. Well, the other problem with the opener is you're asking like four or five guys to be successful out there. And right. I don't know if we have four or five bullpen guys who are ready to yeah. be successful. Like Tampa Bay, I think, had more But like you, arms can't, you can't do openers do for five games in a row. Right, right. Correct, yeah. Openers is like a term now. Yeah. Yeah, it's you like... the closer. Well, uh, but, no, the interesting thing is the closer but it, that's is That's different away. from the starter. Well, remember, yes. last year we were calling it piggybacking. Uh, you were. I don't know anyone well, else we, we talked about it multiple times as piggybacking before okay. the term opener became like, this is this thing Who's he baseball. piggybacking? Well, because one piggybacking was one, one, 
was one guy starts and the next guy, then the right, next guy. Right, I, I call that's it, a minor league term, yeah. Yeah, I call it the pyramid scheme, but it's each their own. No, that's that's like <laughs> that's what your wife does and my wife and whoever's like, you know, all the. No, my wife is not involved. Uh, Mandy's doing Speaking stuff. Speaking of like what your phone's ringing. Just kidding. Right. Just kidding. Oh, don't do that to me. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Not funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got nervous there. I did. A little jumpy. <laughs> you got to put on that alert siren. Yeah. So. <laughs> everyone should be alerted when something happens. Alert everyone in, the, in this house. Yep. Something happens. Um, no, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch because if you look at the starter options, I just don't think there's very good options there. So I think it'd be interesting to see if they... But like Adam was saying, it's not like they lack uh, prospect starters, right? Like right. Future starters that they're trying right. to work into that. Just so look at who the Orioles in drafted in 16 and 17. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, you're looking at drafts in which of the first 20 picks, 17 or 18 of them were pitchers. Yeah. 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 It's true. And, and now they're finally kind of um, making their way. And then the addition, all those trades, right? It seems right. like in all those trades, we got to, um, we got Ortiz, we got Tate, you know, th- those guys came via the trade. Right. Uh, Kramer, yeah. Um, we talked one more. Okay. If you're done with the opener, I want to yeah. say. It's a couple fifth, Jerry. We got to wrap I know, this show up. It's been at some a really point. long show, but yeah. a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the changes that baseball is proposing. Okay. All this stuff starts in the minors. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's important to talk about if there's any changes going into the minors this year. Okay. Or, or even the effects you saw last year of, of minor league things. Of, like, uh, the clock and stuff. The pitch clock. That, yeah. That could have an impact. The pitch clock. You would expect that, uh, I mean, you know, that it's a big deal. Like, it's like New Year's Eve every every time the guy touches the rubber. Yeah. But, Does, but, like, the whole crowd have to count five, down? Five, the four, Royal Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality and is. And then I love, because this is, like, the shot clock in college I, basketball. I like, when, you, when you play the away game, and I, you can yeah. start counting down when they got, like, right. 10 seconds left. Two, oh, one, I, and make them throw I early. I the idea of messing with. Of there. messing with the opponent <laughs> pitching <laughs> like that with counting down as since the whole stadium gets to see the clock. I like that. Yeah. I, I just it, it really does not play Has, a major role in the game. Right. Because mean, pitchers don't usually take that long to really like that's plenty of well, time for them. They to just pitch. get used to it. They yeah, get used okay. to it. The other aspect is that it, it really um, makes it, it especially pertaining to how much time is between innings yeah. in the minor leagues we do a lot of you know funky games and exciting things between innings right, and now cowboy it's, rodeo right now it's like okay it has to be 90 seconds and you're off and there's a clock for that too and in essence the first year that it was implemented uh, on average throughout the minor leagues which was double and triple a uh, but in those 60 ballparks games were down eight minutes and, you know, that's only eight minutes. But the reality is that if you watch a baseball game that's two hours, 30, two hours, 40 minutes, it feels right. And when the average game is three hours and 10 minutes, it's it's just going on forever. Right. Yeah. And uh, the ability for these pitchers in the offseason to just stand there for a minute between pitches, I mean, it, it's agonizing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I think it is very important in baseball. The other thing I think that will come in the major leagues is I think they're going to make um, the between inning length shorter and put more ads on TV on your screens. Yeah, um, well, like we're seeing the why, NFL do. Yeah, we've been exactly. talking about that before. Like that's the way to do it. Like, like why even go to commercial? Right. Why not have the whole commercial break be just on the side as the pitcher warms right. up? Or, or right. like the NBA that showed off their jerseys that can change mid-game. The future jerseys. You didn't see this. No, During no. the All-Star game, they were showing off these, this is what our jerseys could be in 2021 or something. And the guy presses a button on his phone, and the jersey number and name changes. 
Uh, right, so an says, ad well, that, can that's change useless, on which it is. But the whole point is advertising, right? And I, I saw it. I think first in the Ryder Cup last year. You know, like here's the 30 seconds, and you can still see what's happening. Yeah, it makes um, sense it, because but, it keeps people from leaving, right? And, and, and baseballs, away and... baseballs learn to do it with the ad behind home plate changing. Sure, you see it a little bit on baseball tonight when they go to the overhead shot, and there's a logo on the outfield. Of course, yeah. so you can work it into baseball. And I even heard about professional players saying like umps telling them, "Hey, slow down." on your warm-ups we got like 90 seconds like i think right yeah can warm up in a much quicker fashion than yeah sure. it's about commercials right Advertising. it's all about yeah it's like football where the guy goes out with the big orange glove it's all about the commercial break my, and my favorite story about this was from the 80s and uh lee smith uh hall of famer now a former oriole mm-hmm. uh when he was with the cubs uh he made, became really good friends with the grounds crew and the grounds crew got paid by the hour and in essence uh they got an overtime bonus <laughs> if the game went longer than three hours and so the average was. game was close to that. So Lee Smith was the, took by far the longest of any pitcher <laughs> in the history of Funny. baseball to get to the mound. And it just became his thing. So when he pitched the Orioles at the end of his career, I think that was in 1994, you know, you'd come back from the break and Lee would be picking up the ball <laughs> to make his first of eight, you know, pitches because that was his thing. I mean, he walked, he wasn't burning any calories getting, coming in sure. from the booth you know? <laughs> or coming in from the pen that is well that's why they now have bullpen carts yes save, save yeah. a few extra seconds uh at did, at double a did they institute yet the extra innings guy starting on yes. second base yeah how, how was how was that taken weird i mean it was very strange uh it's funny because the bay Sox were great at it I, th- I think we have to give a lot of props to our manager gary kendall but i think Bowie was something like eight and one in extra inning games last it was something like of that wow. nature for a team that was a below 500 team uh but it, it was unusual the thing that that it did was uh and this will never happen in the major leagues right but right. in essence, what they're trying to do is save money for organizations in transferring players. Because what would happen is you'd play 15 innings, and then Double A would say, "Look, we don't have any relievers for tomorrow." Right. So then Frederick, fresh, yeah. Frederick would send up two relievers to Bowie and Delmarva too, and it would cost all these money and travel. So. Uh, there were something like 140 games in the minors in 2017 that went uh, more than 12 innings. And last year there was like 10. <laughs> so it, it was a big it difference. Solved the problem. I there was actually go. able, um, world famous, to broadcast the first ever game. Oh, wow. Bowie nice. went, were the only te- East Coast minor league team that went to extra innings on opening night. Wow, okay. nice. So huh. we got to do the first. So in essence, though, for general managers, um, my, my GM, Brian Shalcross says, you know, I think it's the dumbest rule ever, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the reason for that is a good example. July 4th, people come for the fireworks, right. right? Sure. And so here it is. The game's on the line. The Bay Sox are down one. And what do we do? We get the, the tying hit and then we strand the winning run at third and we go to extras. And the reality is that people are there to watch fireworks. And now everybody's like, oh my God, how long is this game going to go? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The Bay Sox end up winning it, right. you know, 15 minutes later in the bottom of the 10th. But if that game went 16 or 17 innings and we couldn't shoot off fireworks because it was too late, it would have been a disaster. Wow. You know? sure. yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, why are minor league players not playing under the fireworks yet? It seems like the perfect promotion for minor league <laughs> baseball. I love it. Yeah, but, uh, well. How do they choose who goes out to second base? Does the manager oh, get to it, choose no, or is it no. last out? How do they put the guy out there? It's it's the – when the out is made, it is the last player that batted in the inning prior. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. 
So you don't get to choose. Right, right. I and, would like the other managers to be able to choose. I think that would be interesting. <laughs> right. no, but or, you, or but like you a, can a make a substitution, you know? So that's something like Gary, oh, right, Gary did it at yeah. times, you know? Sure. Our catcher Pinch would runner, be yeah. the, the guy that made the last out, and then he would run out to second, and Gary would pinch run for the oh, catcher, yeah. you know? And then the other thing is, do you play... Like, if you're the home team, everybody plays for the beginning at first, but you could get out of a jam. Now you need only one run. And literally, I saw it once once or twice last year where it's like, you you don't allow a run in the top of the 10th. You just bunt just the guy bunt. to third and yeah. then hit a sack fly in the game. Uh, so sure. Like, sure. you could win yeah, without yeah. a hit. Yeah. 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 Uh, also, that run that would score, this is a statistical thing, but um, that is an unearned run. So it doesn't hurt the pitcher for having a guy on there. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but the runner still gets a run scored. Like, he still gets that in his Correct, right. he does, yeah. yeah. Good for him. So it's like an error. <laughs> um, what if the guy hits a two-run homer? The one earned run? Correct. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Makes sense. All right. Are there any new things that are coming this year? You know? Not, not really rules nothing, related. Nothing that's going to no, shift. Nothing, but, nothing as fun as putting a guy on second base. But I'm <laughs> telling you, for the Orioles, uh, you know, I, I just – I'm very, very interested to see – analytically how the Orioles minor league staffs go after this because like for instance in Bowie our pitching coach Kenny Steenstra is a longtime Orioles minor league pitching coach Keith Bodie is a longtime hitting coach that's been around forever uh, you know we have a young manager but he was in the Orioles organization prior Buck Britton it's not like it was all new people yeah that that's what surprised in. a lot of same managers and, uh, yeah and, yeah. and uh, in, in effect we're going to have to see this relation and this uh, adaptation um, at every level of the organization the Orioles, I know that many people have read, they've brought in some junior collegiate coaches, some coaches yes. from places that in the past would never be. Yeah, junior uh, college, you know, yeah, yeah. That that are local that have really uh, heated to this, and they've put them, and that's not a surprise to me at all, at the lowest levels in the minors. You might say right. that that's the most insignificant, but it's the opposite. Because what they want to do is when they draft these new players, they want people that are thinking like them teaching right. these players. They want to instill yeah. that in yeah. right away when they're Start at Aberdeen. Terminology, yeah. yeah, they don't want to try to fix, you know, teach a guy or yeah. have somebody that believes in what they're doing when they get to Bowie. Yeah. I'm not explaining to him much well, to Mark Trumbo. Yeah, but, <laughs> it, but it is. If I remember, we sat down with DJ Stewart last year. Uh-huh. And I think Matt, you asked him some question about strikeout rate or something, yeah. and, he, and his question, answer was almost exactly like Chris Davis's answer to us earlier in the year that I'm, I'm paid to swing away. They want me to. They want me to be more to aggressive. To be more aggressive. To be more aggressive. When we're like, wait, enough. shouldn't you be less aggressive? Well, but here's was, the thing. Yeah, you know, two years you, ago, yeah. This is the thing. Like I think about players that are in the upper levels of the minors that fit the mantra and what they're looking for when they, when Elias and uh, made all when they or, uh, when they went to Houston, the, one of the first things they did was they actually took batting average off the scoreboard. When you went to games at minute Maid park, That's because really they funny. don't care about it at all. And they, they didn't want their fans put, or players to care right? about it either. They yeah. put OPS, uh, you know, up there or on yeah. base percent, right. one or the other. Yeah. And uh, the fans were like outraged. Like, what's right. this guy hitting? I want to know what he's hitting. <laughs> yeah. I you would know, too. But they didn't want their players to go up there and go, God, I'm hitting. You know, like right, what I that, talked about with McKenna earlier. Like the fact that he's hitting 230 doesn't matter to them. He's right. got a 340 on base right. percentage, right? The and they care about the, the OPS, yeah. you know. So yeah. So when you when you put this all together, um, I think DJ Stewart fits that mantra because DJ is a guy that walks a lot. He's always been a high on base percentage player in the minors once he straightened out his batting stance so that he could actually get to a league average fastball. I, I think that in in 
college, you see a lot of guys that throw in, in the high 80s. Right. And Stewart was crushing them. And with this crouch swing, and he had to straighten up because basically he couldn't get to 92 or 93 with right. any consistency. Because he's only two feet by the way when he's crouched Exactly. Down. So yeah. now that's really changed. And I, I think that um, he's a guy that is – uh, because he was a disappointment immediately that people don't think about. But I, I love his work ethic. He plays baseball like he's playing football, <laughs> which makes him look awkward in the outfield. But he catches yeah. everything because he's just sprinting all around. And then he just stops and the ball comes to him. But, <laughs> I mean, the reality, he, he's not a graceful player. Let me put it that way. Where Cedric Mullins is like, a you know, so graceful in the outfield. Right. But, but, uh, but DJ Stewart really fits this profile. Because when you look at guys like Mullins and Hayes, they don't walk a lot. Mountcastle yeah. doesn't walk a lot. But DJ DJ Stewart does, and I, uh, and that's probably why he said that last year because he was probably okay. taking a lot of strike threes. <laughs> yeah, it's true, and we appreciate you helped us uh, get the opportunity to interview a couple people, including Tanner Scott. I told yeah. Scott, I told, I told, I said Scott, because um, you walk a lot of guys, and the pace of play is a concern. I told since you walk about one every three players. Get the first two out. <laughs> Tell the third guy to just go to first base so you save everyone a lot of, a lot of time. And you're going to walk the guy anyway, you know, just kind of right. pace the play, solving all the problems. But it's going to be really fun this year to see a lot of those guys. Well, this is this is the um, year to go watch minor league baseball. Well, right. And, and yeah. the majors because a lot of – because Tanner Scott's going to be in the majors this year. And right. DJ Stewart, I hope, is going to be in the majors this year. At some point. Um, and so at all levels, I think this is kind of a really exci- exciting season because you don't have a bunch of veterans uh, right. playing for the Orioles. Or Norfolk or Bowie, like there's young right. players everywhere, sure. and so it's kind of a, uh, I think a really exciting season in, in, in a lot of respects. And also, pitcher, you know, the pitcher is like I talked about before, the most important player in baseball. You know, whoever that night's pitcher is, right. the thing that makes baseball so interesting, more interesting in some ways than football, is that in football the pitcher is the quarterback, and the quarterback's the same every game. Yeah. Where you know, if Clayton Kershaw pitched a hundred percent of the Dodgers' innings, they wouldn't lose many games, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's what makes baseball so unique. And let's just look at Bowie. I mean. Dean Kramer, if he starts in Bowie, uh, then you've got uh, Zimmerman, uh, who was traded for in the Braves deal. Uh, then you've got the two uh, top pros- top draft choices from a few years ago that have had great starts to their minor league careers, Zach Lowther and Michael Bauman. Alex Wells is a former minor league pitcher of the year that yeah. a lot of people think remind them of Zach Davies. But they have the best control in the organization, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then that still is without a guy like Christian Alvarado, who's yeah. been a longtime starter in the system and, and been a double digit game winner. What happened and to then Cody Brian Sedlock? Gonzalez. Is Cody Sedlock still alive? What happened to him? Well, that's the thing. He's a first round pick. Can yeah. he reclaim his velocity? He did not is have Is that it. what happened? He just lost his velocity? Yes. And yeah. do we know it just was gone? Do we know injuries? What like Do we know? Well, well, he what did happened? have some injuries, but it's 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 not something that he had to have major surgery yeah. on. But whether it's mechanical, whatever it is, I mean, yeah. you know, he was a guy that was throwing ninety five, and then he's a guy that's throwing eighty five to eighty eight. So th- that's a whole thing, you know. Can he yeah. get that velocity? But, and that's back? why you need so many pitching prospects, right? Because that kind of stuff does happen. It happens. Right. Yeah. yeah, we I, saw Matt Hobgood. That's what happened yeah. to Hobgood. Yeah. All right. Well, Adam, we could talk to you all night. Shoot, we, <laughs> we almost did. <laughs> Some pace of play concerns in uh, on this podcast right now. Pace of podcast. <laughs> pace of podcast concerns. Let's do a, some kind of podcast clock. All right, but uh, boys and girls, appreciate you listening. Um, do if you don't follow Adam Pole on Twitter, you should follow him on Twitter. How can they follow you on Twitter, Adam? Well, I wasn't quick enough to have at Adam Pole, so I'm at Pole P O H L Adam. Okay, the so Pole Adam, switch it up. I like that. Switching up. And if you take a look at any of our Twitters, it's all. 
we tweeted it out there. We all follow. It yeah, yeah. So if you follow one way. of us, you should follow all of us. Yes. Or it'll be, it's in the show notes as well. Yeah. All right. You can uh, go go ahead and subscribe on iTunes if you don't already. Leave a five star review. Yeah. Any other announcements I should be saying here at the end? I mean, now we're on we're on YouTube, Periscope, yeah, Facebook, uh, Twitch. Twitch. Twitch is new. That was yeah. just added. Uh, did I say YouTube? Yeah. We're on all those things. Tinder, so, Grinder, yeah. Whichever one of those that. you like, just type in <laughs> Section 336 right. and make sure you, <laughs> right. you like us. Uh, if you like us on Twitch, you get a cool custom notification every time we go live. Oh, I, I might follow you on Twitch What now. is yeah. Twitch? It's, uh, it's I've never video, even heard of that. It's, it's a video streaming uh, thing. I was laughing during the <laughs> earlier in the show. I was checking on Twitter, make sure no breaking news or anything, and I saw... Ronnie Stanley of the Ravens is playing some video game live on Twitch tonight. So, all right, it's, uh, like is the he us some listeners. Uh, yeah, apparently you might be watching uh, Ronnie Stanley play Apex instead of watching us. Okay, don't watch but, Ronnie Stanley. Watch right. Section Three Three Six. Twitch, <laughs> Twitch is a lot of video game streaming, but they're getting into podcasting and they want podcasters right. to, to sign on to Twitch. They got a really nice uh, interface and platform, so I signed us up, and our video is now going there as well. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I like it. All right, well, you, can, you, can, you can watch Fortnite at the same time. You can follow the show on Twitter, Section 336 Show. You can follow me on Twitter, Section 336. You can follow Bert at Bert Rohde. You can follow Josh at Josh Soroka. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. And as always, go O's. Thank you for listening to the Section 336 Podcast. Please go to iTunes and Facebook for all complaints or the occasional compliment. If I were you, I would not take any baseball advice from these guys. Josh and Matt were raised by an Orioles-obsessed father, and Bert, uh, well, Bert fell in love with Don Mattingly. He has a thing for mustaches.